This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the FDA's recently released proposed rule to regulate e-cigarettes. With me to discuss the topic is the Executive Director of the Schroeder Institute for Tobacco Research at the Legacy Foundation, Dr. David Abrams. Welcome, David. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. As always, let me briefly begin with some background. Three years after announcing plans to do so, this past April 24th, the FDA announced a proposed rule to regulate e-cigarettes. These are battery-operated products used to heat nicotine in an aerosol that is inhaled. They are manufactured to look like conventional cigarettes. Generally, the FDA proposes to ban the sale of e-cigarettes to minors, ban free samples, require manufacturers to disclose ingredients, require health warning labels, and prohibit manufacturers to claim these e-cigarettes are less harmful than tobacco cigarettes without submitting scientific proof to the FDA. The proposed rule did not forbid TV advertising and does not ban flavorings such as cherry, cotton candy, gummy bear, and mango. The e-cigarette industry has grown from basically nothing five years ago to over $2 billion today and is expected to grow to $17 billion in the next three to five years. The primary question begged is, are these products a safer alternative or are they a gateway to tobacco consumption? Again, with me to discuss the topic is Dr. David Abrams, and of course, uh, Dr. Abrams' bio is posted on the website. So with that, let me ask uh, you, David, can you briefly describe, uh, to begin, the work of the Schroeder Institute? Our institute is dedicated to doing cutting-edge and rapid research that will inform policy and practice to reduce the death and disease from tobacco products. Okay, very straightforward. Advocates argue the product offers nicotine without consuming the harmful effects of tobacco. As is well known, tobacco use is the leading cause of preventable death at almost 500,000 deaths annually. Therefore, what do we know today about the efficacy of e-cigarettes as an aid in smoking sensation? Are they, as some people say, lifesavers? Um, that's a very interesting question, and although we don't have a lot of scientific evidence yet, the evidence that we do have does suggest that they are less harmful than cigarettes and potentially can help some people who've tried other ways to quit smoking to eventually quit and or only use these purportedly less harmful e-cigarettes or use them as a way to quit all tobacco use completely. So I'm cautiously optimistic that this technology is truly what we call a disruptive technology. It may well be the first popular product that's attractive and appealing enough to compete with the much more lethal combusting of tobacco found in cigarettes, little cigars, and hookah, and therefore perhaps make cigarettes obsolete much more rapidly than we ever thought possible even 10 years ago. And it really has been amazing that it's not the tobacco per se, or even the nicotine, it's when it's burnt and combusted that you get these 7,000 toxic chemicals, 60 known human carcinogens, 
and a massive amount of carbon monoxide when you burn the tobacco leaves. And that's the way you release the nicotine. So from a harm reduction perspective, products such as FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapies and indeed any non-combusting or non-burning form of tobacco such as the nicotine derived in e-cigarettes um, could be a dramatic way to accelerate the demise of the burning cigarette and save hundreds of thousands of lives much more quickly than we ever anticipated. I'm sure you're aware it was reported Saturday in the New York Times on the front page about the vapor uh, produced might contain formaldehyde. Can you comment on that? Yes, so um, a couple comments. Firstly, the e-cigarette industry and the products are not monolithic. There are several very different types of e-cigarettes. Uh, Cigarette-like smaller ones that are disposable and come with a preloaded nicotine cartridge. Uh, Cigarette-like ones that can be recharged and come with replaceable cartridges. And these much larger so-called tank-like personal vaporizers that are now increasingly coming with much bigger batteries um, much stronger heating coils and can be essentially tailored by the individual who buys bottles of e-juice uh, both with different concentrations of nicotine and different flavorings. So there are really three classes of e-cigarette products and the the product is evolving all the time. What we're seeing is first and second generation products, and there are probably future innovations on the market. We hope some of those will be both much better at delivering clean nicotine to help people get off the more lethal combusted cigarette, as well as with FDA regulation, we could be sure that the toxic ingredients are kept to a minimum and that there's good quality control over the manufacturing and production of both the juice and the products. So this, this article is very important because it does say that some of the newer tank-like products are heating the, uh, the liquid nicotine at a much higher rate, and that does begin to produce formaldehyde, which is a toxic chemical, um, at a level that approaches regular cigarettes. So most of the e-cigarettes on the market are producing much less number of carcinogens and toxins, as well as very low rates of, um, of these chemicals. But we are now seeing um, a few of the newer products and the way people are using them could create um, a level of toxins that ought to be of concern. Let, let me go, before I ask about the proposed FDA regulations, just one other question. So the upside is there's the possibility that if you have smoked a tobacco cigarette, you might alternately choose e-cigarette, then you avoid the carcinogens and all the toxins related to the tobacco. What about going the other way, uh, and that's the argument, this could be a gateway towards uh, adopting the tobacco habit. Sure. What do, we, what do we know about that? Sure. We actually don't know a lot about that. Uh, we certainly know that youth in particular um, are curious and are trying these novel products. In fact, the rate has doubled in the last two years, according to CDC. And that's of concern, that youth are really experimenting with these products. 
However, what's reassuring is that the vast majority of these youth are also smoking the more lethal and toxic cigarette. And one, one hope is that if they like the e-cigarette, although we think they shouldn't be using any nicotine or tobacco whatsoever because it does change the brain, and it's not a good thing for, for young brains to be exposed to any chemical like nicotine. However, since we can't stop some people from using them, you could argue that there's the hope that e-cigarette use among current cigarette smokers might get them to switch and become a gateway out of lifelong addiction, just like it would be for adult smokers. And there's a little bit of evidence that combusted cigarette use is going down at the same time as e-cigarette use is doubling. So for example, the um, National Tobacco Survey called Monitoring the Futures, which is one of the ones we all use as a gold standard, has just published the 2013 data, suggesting that once more, combusted cigarette use, the most lethal and defective product, has been down 10% per year for the last three years in a row and is at record lows of roughly 9.6% of, of school children using combusted cigarettes. This is at the exact same time as e-cigarette use has doubled. So while the jury is out, and it certainly could become an attractive product as a gateway into more lethal cigarette smoking, um, there's also evidence that it might be helping people to stay away from or a gateway out of cigarette smoking. We have to collect more data, and we should be very vigilant, but we really don't know. I will get to the FDA proposed rule, but one other uh, question. What about the pricing of these products? So, for example, is an e-cigarette more favorably priced than a standard pack of 20 cigarettes? Well, that's also a tricky question to answer. Uh, another reality is that there are 250 brands of e-cigarettes on the market and the quality control over the liquid, the amount of nicotine, the battery life and the temperature are highly variable. So it's hard to know. It's really hard to know. We've seen everything from almost no nicotine to slow absorption of nicotine that gets close to the level in a cigarette. Um, the better quality manufacturers claim that if you buy an e-cigarette for roughly seven or eight dollars at a convenience store, and this would be one of those cigarette-like disposables or replaceable cartridges, that it would be equivalent to two packs of cigarettes. So if they're properly advertised, if the nicotine is accurate, and if the warming is done the way it should be, it's quite conceivable that an e-cigarette would give you the amount of nicotine um, that, that's roughly half the cost of a pack of cigarettes. But that's only in the best quality products, and it's the Wild West out there in terms of variability. Okay, so let's get to the FDA proposed rule. On balance, what's your assessment? Uh, specifically, since 90% of smokers develop the habit or become addicted to nicotine by age 20, do the proposed regs adequately safeguard against youth adoption or use? I don't think they go far enough in terms of safeguards. I think we need to do everything possible to keep youth away from every kind of nicotine or tobacco product in any shape or form, and that includes e-cigarettes, current cigarettes, hookah and little cigars, which are also of great concern 
and now finally are coming under FDA regulation. So I think um, not only banning sales to minors, but we've got to look at internet enforcement, which is much harder to do. And I think we also have to look at the advertising and targeting and marketing of e-cigarettes to vulnerable young adults or youth. And we are seeing evidence that some of the companies, particularly the large tobacco companies, seem to be targeting their advertising just like they did in the 1950s to youth. And I think that ought to be restricted. So you would not favor the continuing sale of e-cigarettes that are gummy bear flavored? Yes, we would definitely argue that the candy flavors that are clearly gratuitously attractive to youth and have no real attraction to adults uh, should be banned, as they are in regular cigarettes, which Congress, in their wisdom, did uh, at the time of signing the Tobacco Control Act. And while we also think they should have included menthol, uh, we certainly think that the banning of candy flavors should be extended to all nicotine and cigarette-like pro products, whether it's e-cigarettes or the flavoring that comes in hookah or little cigars in particular that are very attractive to you. So let me pick up on that. So you're absolutely correct, of course. The Congress did ban these flavors, all flavors, of course, with the exception of menthol, which the FDA has been studying for the last three-odd years and who knows how that'll play out but it's certainly inconsistent per the Congressional Act to ban these uh, flavors and cigarettes and not do so here so how and why did that happen well I think um, Dr. Zeller uh, Mr. Zeller the head of the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products um, made a statement that said this is just the first step and I do think FDA has to proceed responsibly and cautiously and use the rules and regulations in order to be sure that it's promulgating accurate policy and that the science reinforces that policy. So I do think um, they plan to look into, and I would hope, would fairly expeditiously move to ban sale of flavored little cigars and e-cigarettes um, as soon as possible. But I don't think they felt they could easily do that in one fell swoop without being challenged. Okay. So the rule came out, proposed again on the 24th. The public has 75 days to make comment. I'm sure your organization will make comment beyond the criticism of persisting or allowing the use of, again, gummy bear, cotton candy, cherry mango, and these others. What might else uh, the legacy of Schroeder uh, write in its response to the proposed rule? Well, we're actually very excited that we have the opportunity to finally regulate this product. We think a top priority is to set product standards to ensure that the juice, the product, the batteries, and the labeling are accurate and as safe as possible for the public health. So that would include things like requiring childproof containers for any bottles of juice, clear warning labels that nicotine is not benign and when spilt on the skin or ingested could be very damaging to health, and instructions on how to properly use, store, and manage the nicotine, just like we have on other consumer products. I think FDA can now mandate that, and frankly, we're very disappointed that any responsible industry would not have thought of doing that from the get-go without FDA regulation. 
But I think the opportunity here to create a level playing field of quality nicotine delivery products is enormous because then one could submit these products that are now standardized and tracked appropriately with common sense regulations to see if they could pass muster with a claim of a modified risk reduced harm product. And then we could aggressively tell the public what we already suspect is true from research, which is that they should switch completely as soon as possible out of combusted or burning of tobacco. It's now an antiquated prehistoric behavior that's not necessary anymore and creates so much lethality that the Surgeon General's report said the evidence is now overwhelming that the ma vast majority of the death and disease and chronic illness that comes from tobacco comes from the burning of tobacco in the cigarette. And I would add little cigars, little cigarillos and hookah. Any burning of tobacco should no longer be done and, sh and no longer needs to be done. So I think everything we can do to educate the public to use these alternative safe nicotine forms, whether it's FDA nicotine replacement therapies, gum patch lozenge, whether it's e-cigarettes, and even things like Swedish snooze, which is regulated to be low nitrosamine smokeless tobacco, are all preferable to be used if you must have your nicotine and if you're addicted and cannot get off combusted cigarettes, I'd much rather see these people using a lifetime of any of those safe forms of nicotine or safer forms of nicotine than continuing with combusting or burning tobacco in any form. So it gives FDA the opportunity to properly evaluate the science, estimate the reduced harm, and tell the public the truth about how dangerous combusting or burning tobacco is and that the best thing is to get off everything. But if you can't do that, a harm reduction philosophy of using uh, FDA-approved nicotine replacement therapies, e-cigarettes, or Swedish snooze would be my second and third choices behind um, not being able to stop everything completely. Well, point well taken. You can't research the product until you standardize the product. Correct. Okay. Let me ask you this question for people who don't smoke. Sort of the common question is, so we're going to regulate the product and we'll address the vapor in some way. So the practical question then is, should airlines, for example, ban the consumption or use of these products uh, in flights? So at the moment, again, there's not enough evidence because it's very tricky to estimate the harm of secondhand vapor in this case. Um, but the studies I've seen do show that, again, although it's as expected dramatically less harmful in terms of uh, toxicants, particulate matter than the combusted cigarette, it's not harmless. And there's at least some form of aerosolized nicotine that is getting into the atmosphere when the e-cigarette vapor exhales the vapor. And any level of nicotine, I think, ought to not be something that bystanders or people in a room ought to be forced to, to, to inhale. Secondary smoke. So it, this is secondary vapor, which is, again, much less damaging in many, many ways than the smoke from a cigarette. 
It's also much less intense because the cigarette burns all the time. The e-cigarette only releases vapor when the person sucks it in and breathes it out. So it's a lot less and a lot less dangerous chemicals, but still just ex exhaling a small amount of nicotine firstly could be dangerous to pregnant women because we know nicotine is a so-called teratogen, meaning that it can cause birth defects. So like alcohol, pregnant women should stay away from all tobacco and nicotine, even safe forms of nicotine. And so I think there's a fairly good basis, at least for now, to err on the side of conservatism, protect public health and restrict um, the use um, in indoor air and, and public places just the way we do with regular cigarettes, even though the e-cigarette is much safer. So just let me further that. So what's your sense of where regulators are as it relates to the airline industry, tra other transportation industries, uh, public spaces? I mean, is this on the agenda of, of those organizations or those government agencies as well? Um, I believe it is. Uh, some airlines are voluntarily re-restricting re it. Um, certainly cities, towns, and some states have promulgated or actually implemented legislation to restrict smoking indoors and in public places. Uh, but it's not a uniform. There are also some other states and localities that are believing that it's relatively safe and that it, since it may be a gateway out of smoking combusted cigarettes, we ought to encourage its use. However, you know, other public health ad advocates are really concerned because this does, in a sense, re-glamorize the act of smoking and could um, make it more easy for people to dual use. In other words, not, not reduce their combusted use but use the e-cigarette as a bridge product when they cannot smoke, which could cause less motivation to quit or less motivation to switch. However, we could thread the needle the other way. It could be that allowing people to use these will allow them to wean themselves off the much more lethal combusted cigarette and again be a gateway out of smoking lethal cigarettes as much as it could be undermining of cessation or current policies that restrict smoking. So again, we don't know and we have some natural experiments because some places are allowing it and other places are not. So if we collect the data accurately, immediately and properly, we may have information as to whether it is helping people quit and accelerating cessation, whether it's having no impact or whether it's actually delaying and causing more harm than good. We just don't know yet. My last question to wrap up, what's your sense of how long it'll take the FDA to finalize its rule and have whatever final regulations we have go into effect? Well, that depends on the rule. I think um, some of the immediate rules will go into effect 30 to 60 days after the comment period. For example, the warning labels that it contains nicotine, an addictive substance, um, you know, banning free coupons and samples and so on. Um, the other rules about marketing and flavoring, I think, will take a little longer. And my estimate would be that given what needs to be done in terms of the formulating of the rulemaking and all the government steps, probably um, one to three years before some of those more complex rules are promulgated, cleaned up, 
approved and finally make it into the law. Well, with that, Dr. Abrams, a very interesting conversation. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.